back there, so have a great time. All right. Uh, today we continue in uh, the uh, message series about uh, You Be the Judge. And uh, remember, what we're doing is uh, taking some time to look at some folks uh, who lived in the past, who lived in faith with God, and figure out uh, not only how they did it, but what can we take from their life and apply it uh, into our life. Because uh, I'm convinced that God is looking for some people in this period of time, in this age, uh, to be able to lift up and uh, be able to use as faithful people, uh, just like he used those judges back then. So today we'll move forward. Remember, we're kind of keying the starting list off of uh, Hebrews 11. And uh, Hebrews 11 gives us the starting point for understanding how, how to be that kind of person. It's verse 1. It says, Faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we cannot see. It was their faith that made our ancestors pleasing to God. So as we look at these folks, what we want to look at is say, okay, let's examine their faith. Let's look at the kind of faith they expressed, and then how can we translate that into our lives, into our time, and into this place? And we get a list from Hebrews 11 of some folks we can look at. So uh, the author says, What else can I say? There isn't enough time to tell you about Gideon, uh, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Now, remember, you know some of the folks on that list, right? So you probably know about Gideon. You for sure probably know about Samson, right? Uh, and David and Samuel the prophets. And, of course, now, because of last week, you know about Jephthah. Great, you can do that. You got Jephthah down. Uh, so today we're going to take one more step and look at another person on that list. We're going to look at, uh, at Barak. And why look at Barak? Because he's on the list. He's on the list that the author of Hebrews is saying, look, you need to look at these guys seriously and understand how they live their life. Now, what's great about it is his next verse uh, says, by verse 33, it says, Their faith helped them conquer kingdoms, and because they did right, God made promises to them. They closed the jaw of lions and put out raging fires and escaped from swords of their enemies. Although they were weak, were all the guys on this, ap- this list absolutely perfect? Not at all. It says, although they were weak. So if you're sitting here this morning saying, you know, Jephthah was great, Pastor. That was wonderful last week, but I just don't feel like a Jephthah. I, I, I just don't feel like I've got those qualities. There is hope for you. Because the people on this list aren't always perfect. They don't always respond, you know, guns ahead, you know, do whatever he says, even though that's what he calls us to do. Today we're going to look at, at Barak. And Barak is one of those folks that many of us can probably identify with. Uh, let's set the stage. Uh, what's going on in Israel in that time uh, is there was a judge before, uh, before Deborah and Barak came along named Ehud. It says, uh, after the death of Ehud, the Israelites again started disobeying the Lord. So there's a judge named uh, Ehud. And uh, he was a judge over Israel, and he was really great. Uh, in fact, it's under his leadership that the tribes of Israel experienced the longest period of peace and faithfulness in that time. Uh, while Ehud was judged, they were faithful, and they experienced peace for 80 years. That's pretty good in that time. 
But the text also says what happened after Ehud died, after Ehud's out of the picture. The people of Israel started disobeying the Lord. Did you see that? Remember I told you last week, they went through this kind of cycle of they'd get right and tight with God and then, you know, uh, things would fade. They'd get comfortable and they'd start disobeying the Lord, moving away from God. They'd experience some disappointments, persecutions, some suffering, some challenge. And then they would cry out and God would raise up a judge and the whole process would start over again. So we have Ehud now out of the picture and the people start disobeying disobeying God. So it says in verse 2, So the Lord let the Canaanite king Jabin of Hazor conquer Israel. Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, lived in Heroseth Hakoyim. What happens? They start disobeying. And when they start disobeying, they move farther away from God and God's favor. And when you move farther away from God and from God's favor, you now create room in your life so so something else can move in and begin influencing and controlling your life. It's exactly what happens. They become disobedient. They move farther away from God. They move farther away from God's favor. So now a new power can enter into their land and into their lives. Jabin, he does with a great general named Sisera, and they take over the place. And now Israel lives under their power for 20 years of misery. Did you get the principle that we're seeing here? That when you start moving away from God, when you start moving away, you move away not only from God, but from His favor. And you create the room in your life for something else to move in. And when that something else moves in, it's not good. It creates misery. You just got to make sure before this series is done, you get that simple principle down in your life and understand the risk you take when you start moving away from the way God wants you to live, from from the purpose, the dream, everything God can do. When you start moving away from that, you create that room for something else to move in. The people of God did that, and Jabin moves in. God listens to their cries after the 20 years, And so he sends a rescuer. In this case, it is Deborah. Ladies, are you listening? You can sit up a little bit about now because we're going to talk about a woman. Fourth chapter, it says, Deborah, the wife of Lapidus, was a prophet and a leader of Israel during those days. Now, we just learned two things about Deborah, right? She was a leader and she was a prophet. Okay, let me show you where she was a leader. It says in the text, She would sit under Deborah's palm tree between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, where the Israelites would come and ask her to settle their legal cases. So what did she do? She'd sit there. She was known for her wisdom. And so they would come and they would seek her as a leader and say, Decide our cases. So she would sit and take God's wisdom what she knew about God's truth, and she would apply that into the everyday situations of the lives of those folks that came to her, and the case would be decided. Deborah was a leader 
who took God's wisdom and applied it into the decisions that she was making every day. The second thing she is, is a prophet. What's a prophet? Or a prophet is somebody who speaks for God, who takes God's experience from the past and takes God's speaking in the present and reveals that message of God to the present and even about the future, right? A prophet knows what's gone on in the past, but a prophet speaks to the present and also unfolds the possibilities of God's Word to the future. Deborah is functioning as a leader and as a prophet. Women, did you listen to that? You need to listen today. Deborah, a woman, was a leader and a prophet. You see, I would hope before the day that is done here that every woman in the room and anybody that's out there listening to us this morning, any woman that takes this story in will ask themselves the same question of Deborah. Is God calling you in this time to be a leader and a prophet. See, this is a great verse for us because it reminds us that God doesn't look at us in terms of gender only, that God doesn't look at us and say one gender can do this and one gender can do that. God looks at us and said, who is going to respond to me faithfully in this time and in this place? Who is going to be a leader and a prophet? And women, God is asking the same thing of you this morning. Are you ready to be a leader and a prophet? Are you ready to learn from not only Barak this morning, but also from Deborah? Because I'm convinced there's women in the room who are ready to change their name to Deborah, at least to change their life to be the life of Deborah. And you watch, ladies, this morning how Deborah responds through this experience. Deborah gets the general to her. It says, One day Barak, the son of uh, Abinoam, was in Kadesh in Naphtali, and Deborah sent word for him to come and talk with her. When he arrived, she said... Now, what's she going to do? She now is going to apply God's word into the present of this guy's life, right? She said, I have a message for you from the Lord God of Israel. Who's he going to hear from? The Lord God of Israel, Right? She's going to speak for God. She's going to speak to Barak and speak what God needs him to hear in this very moment. Let me challenge you here with a learning point here, a learning moment. If we're going to imitate these two people, Deborah and Barak this morning, is because we learn how to be God-confident. That we learn to be God-confident. And God conf- God's God-confident people believe God's Word. See, Deborah is following what God wants her to do, what God told her to do. And now she is going to put in front of this warrior, Barak, God's Word. And he's going to be in the same place she was, whether he'll follow it or not. Okay? Here's the word that she brings him. You are to get together an army of 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun tribes and lead them to Mount Tabor. How many, by the way, remember this little point here. How many men is he supposed to get together? 10,000. Don't forget that. Just kind of put it on the shelf for a minute. Remember it, okay? Supposed to get 10,000 men. Then she says, 
The Lord will trick Sisera into coming out to fight you at the Kishon River. Sisera will be leading King Jabin's army as usual, and they will have their chariots. But the Lord has promised to help you defeat them. Now, this is an awesome moment. I don't know if you get it yet, but this is an awesome moment. What is God doing for Barak? He's laying out for him not only what he's supposed to do, but he's unfolding for him before it even happens the exact plan of what God's going to do. Brock, here's what you have to do. You have to go get 10,000 men, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that you win that battle, and here's how it's going to unfold. Now, he's also speaking to the fear that Brock no doubt has. Notice in that word and in the plan, he mentions these things called chariots. You see, Sisera's army had 900 iron chariots. In that day and age, that was like nuclear warfare. That was awesome stuff. That's what allowed them to dominate for 20 years. God comes to this guy through Deborah and says, Barak, here's the deal. I've got a plan for you, and I know you're going to have the fear of those 900 chariots, but here's how it's going to unfold, and I promise you will defeat him in spite of the chariots. Barak now is at that point of God confidence. Will he simply believe and respond to what God sets before him? Here is Barak's response. I'm not going unless you go, Barak told her. That's right. Do you notice all the women chuckled? Yeah, typical guy. What's he do? You see, he steps back that little bit from God confidence, doesn't he? He steps back that little distance from God confidence. He says, well, I'll go if you'll go. I'll do it if you'll do it. You heard that before? I'll go if you go. I'll do it if you do it. See, the point is God confidence. God confidence always believes God anyway. God confidence just always believes God in spite of the circumstances that seem to be out there. Look what Deborah does. Ladies, you ready to sit up and kind of put your chin out a little bit and feel good? Deborah says, all right, I'll go. Who responds with God confidence? All the ladies said, you go, girl, you go, girl. Right? Yo, Deborah. Right? Guys, I'm sorry. We're getting shown up on this one. Deborah steps up. She's the exa- She steps up. She doesn't allow any room. She just says, look, this is the word of the Lord. This is the plan. God's addressed your fears. And He's promised, I'll go. Remember, Hebrews told us that God can use even weak people. Barak, in this case, shows his weakness in his hesitancy to just follow God's Word. Why? Because he's afraid of 900 chariots. The text says, Jabin's army had 900 iron chariots, and for 20 years he made life miserable miserable for the Israelites until finally they begged the Lord for help. There will always be something out there that will try to capture your fear when God puts something in front of you to do. It's always the case. 
the enemy is always going to put something out there that's going to try to convince you that God's just not up to this. There's always going to be a reason out there that you can fall back to and say, well, you know, I really feel like God wants us to go in this direction. I I really feel like God wants me to do this. I'm really pretty convinced. But, you know, those iron chariots, see, that's what Brock's doing. The enemy will always give you an out from doing what God wants you to do. There's a great story of a, a young girl went out on a date with a young guy. And uh, first date, and uh, man, they had a great time. It was a great date. They had a great time. Came back to her parents' house, you know, and they walked up to uh, to the front door. And the guy was feeling pretty good about the date. He was feeling pretty confident about everything, you know. And he just kind of leaned against the the doorpost a little bit and kind of, you know, rubbed her her arm a little bit and said, uh, "Well, you know, before we say good night, how about uh, how about a kiss?" And the girl said, oh, I, you know, my parents are here. I, you know, I'm just not comfortable. They may see us. He said, oh, you know, come on. We had a great time. One little kiss won't hurt. Nobody's going to see. She's like, no, I, you know, I just, I, I just not on my parents' front porch. He's like, oh, come on. I want to have this to be a great night, a great memory. Just one little kiss. She said, oh, you know, I'm just... No, I just really, really don't think so. Finally, the porch light goes on. And the door opens, and there's her younger sister in her bathrobe, hair kind of disheveled. Uh, and she says, look, Dad says, kiss the guy. And if you don't do it, he says, I should kiss him. And if I won't do it, Dad says, he'll come down and kiss the guy. But whatever, would you tell the guy to stop pushing on the buzzer for the intercom? Sometimes you just got to do it, right? Now, I'm not advocating kissing all over the place here on your first date, but, uh, you know, when God puts something in front of you, God's confidence calls you to just trust Him more in spite of all those reasons you can create of why it couldn't work. You just got to have the confidence to do it. Now, you have to know that if you're like Barak and you step back that little bit, remember the principle we said? When you step back, you create the opportunity for something else to come in, right? Barak steps back from God's confidence. Here's the outcome. Deborah tells him, But I'm warning you that the Lord is going to let a woman defeat Sisera, and no one will honor you for winning the battle. What happens? Barak now in his weakness, because of his hesitation, will not get the glory from the battle. Who's going to get it? Ladies? You go, girl. A woman, right? A woman is going to get the victory. Because of his hesitation now, somebody else, somebody else will get God's favor in this situation. When you stay in God's confidence, God's confidence receives the full measure of favor. When you stay right and you stay tight with God, then you're in that position to be able to receive that full favor. If you back off, that favor is removed, even that little bit. It says, Deborah and Barak left for Gadesh, where Barak called together the troops of Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 soldiers gathered there, and Barak led them out from Gadesh. Deborah went too. Now, take that off the shelf. 
How many people was he supposed to get? How many people did God say go get? 10,000. How many people show up? 10,000. God will never give you a task and promise fulfillment of that task in your life without providing you what you need to accomplish it. Do you see that? He comes to Barak and says, you need to go get 10,000 men. Barak goes and makes the announcement, guys, I need warriors. Come, y'all come. And how many show up? 10,000. I mean, that's like us every week putting announcements up on the screen saying, you know, y'all come, y'all come, y'all come. That's what he did. He didn't go out and recruit 10,000 men line by line. He just said, y'all come. And 10,000 came. God will always provide you what you need to accomplish his task that he promises fulfillment for. Then the battle is engaged. It says, when Sisera learned that Barak had led an army to Mount Tabor, he called his troops together and got all 900 iron chariots ready. How much force is coming out against Deborah and Barak? Everything evil's got, everything the enemy can muster is going to go against them. You've got to understand this. God's promise doesn't remove the challenge of going through the battle. You've got to go through the battle. Deborah, Barak, they had to engage Sisera. They had to go down on the plains and they had to fight those 900 chariots. They had to be willing to engage in the struggle, the blood and the battle. See, just knowing where God wants you to go, just knowing that God is going to provide what you need to accomplish His promise, just knowing all that is just part of it. You've got to act on it. You've got to get into the battle. And it doesn't mean the battle's going to be easy. It means God is willing to be in the battle. Watch the screen for a minute and see how this unfolds in the life of a young couple. It kind of takes what we're teaching this morning, what we're sharing this morning, and puts it into a real-life experience of these two young people. Watch the screen. I met Holly in 2003. I knew Holly for about a year before I found out about her tumor. Fall of my freshman year in high school, I just fainted. I hit my head on the desk and I lost my hearing and lost my vision, you know, and went unconscious. They ended up care flighting me from the football field and they ran some tests and they're telling me that, you know, I have spots on my brain. My neurologist at the time said, let's just watch it, kind of monitor it. So senior year in college, after my biopsy, I found out that it was a brain tumor and that it was benign and slow growing. My tumor was about two inches below my brain surface and it was really close to my motor pathways. When we started dating shortly after, the doctors told Holly that um, it was approaching the time where we were going to have to act on the tumor, whether surgery or radiation or whatever. Holly was in the operating room for most of the day. It was um, like a seven or eight hour surgery. I woke up not expecting to be temporarily paralyzed. I was expecting to have um, temporary weakness, um, is what the surgeon had thought. It was definitely more severe than weakness. I was so scared and um, overcome with anxiety um, and fear that um, I would never be able to walk or, you know, talk again. She probably four or five times a week had physical therapy, speech therapy, and 
occupational therapy. And it wore out. It was exhausting. I asked Holly to marry me about three months after her surgery. The engagement period was challenging um, because she was still recovering. Most neurologists will tell you that two years is a pretty standard full recovery time for brain surgeries. A month and a half after we got married, um, things got a lot worse. She had several seizures and I had to quit work to be at home with her. She was put on a couple different medications that just wiped her out. She was sleeping about 14, 15 hours a day. There was a span of about a month where she really couldn't have an, an in-depth conversation. That was very hard uh, as a brand new husband in a time that most people expect to be the best time of your marriage. Oftentimes I was very um much feeling like as if I was a burden and I felt like I was handicapped and lost my independence. Well now, um, Paul and I have been married just over a year. She's doing so much better. We still see some of the effects of sur her surgery and her seizures. She's not driving. That means that me being the only driver between the two of us, both of our schedules are kind of cut in half. When I think about the future and my health situation and where that comes into play and how that will affect me or if it will be a factor in you know my daily life or in Bradley and I's marriage. I guess I'd say I do I mean I do think about it um, I am scared about it a lot of times. There is still a possibility that some of this health stuff could um, could show up again but I think now more than ever I have a confidence and a trust in the Lord. The Lord has everything in under his control and that you know it's all going to be done according to his plan but it's still it's still definitely a challenge our friendship and our marriage is so much closer and so much stronger having going through a challenging time like that we've definitely become closer learning more about each other's hearts for sure and getting to see glimpses of his humble heart and with every sacrificial um, act on a daily basis. That part of being a loving husband and part of making that vow is in sacrificing my time, sacrificing everything I have, anything I can do to love her well, to support her, to help her, to take care of her, if it means putting Holly in a better spot. Are they engaged in the battle? And yet, where's their confidence? See how it works? See, they just put that confidence there. Do they know the outcome like Barack did? Apparently not. But they know the confidence they have that God has the outcome. You still have to fight the battles, but you have the confidence. And that confidence leads you to be able to fight more and more, to be able to endure and overcome. Look what the text says. Deborah shouted, Barak, it's time to attack Sisera because today the Lord is going to help you defeat him. Now, I bolded this for you so you don't miss it. In fact, the Lord has already gone on ahead to fight for you. How many times have I, have I told you that, right? And here it is. Here's the experience where God is out in front of them 
fighting that battle. You see, God is out in front of what that couple's going through. He's engaged in the battle. That's where our confidence is. Our confidence is that we trust God is in the battle. And you can see it when they go into the battle. It says, Barak led his 10,000 troops down from Mount Tabor. And during the battle, you see that? During the battle, the Lord confused Sisera, his chariot drivers, and the whole army. Everyone was afraid of Barak and his army that even Sisera jumped down from his chariot and tried to escape. Who's fighting the battle? Do you see that? The Lord confused everything. The Lord was in the middle of the battle. So Sarah, Deborah, you bet. They had to engage. Did they have to get in there and get their hands dirty? Absolutely. They were in the midst of some fierce, fierce struggle. And yet they could have a confidence that said, God is there in the battle. And when it's all done, it says, so Sarah's entire army was wiped out, just like God promised. You see, God confidence believes that God is in the battle and God confidence believes that it's all in God's time. That it's simply all in God's time. This time when Deborah said, Barak, it's time. Did he hesitate? Not at all. He went on God's word and he responded and he acted. And before it was done, everything God promised him came to fulfillment. Now, all you ladies are sitting there this morning saying, okay, that's a great place to end, Pastor, but wait a minute. What about this honor, glory going to a woman? It did. Here's what happened. Sisera, the general, runs and flees. He goes to a group of folks that are a camp not that far away who he assumes to be his friends. He goes there and he goes into the, one of the tents and a, one of the, a wife is there, J.L. She is there and she welcomes him into the tent and she gives him something, some milk to drink. And she, of course she sees that he's absolutely exhausted and she gives him a blanket and invites him to just rest. So Sarah says, fine, I am exhausted. I'm going to rest. You stand at the door and if anybody comes by, just tell them I'm not here. Sound like a plan? There's a guy plan. Just tell him I'm not home. Right? Then as he sleeps, the text says, Sisera was exhausted and soon fell fast asleep. J.L., a woman, took a hammer and drove a tent peg through his head into the ground and he died. Who defeated? Yeah, all, all the girls are going, to, ooh, give me washing dishes. Uh, yeah, right. But who did it? Just like God said. A woman is the one who finally defeats the general, not the mighty Barak. You see, God is always true. He's always true to his promises. And he's ultimately true to Israel. It says Jabin grew weaker while the Israelites kept growing stronger. And at last the Israelites destroyed him. Corey Ten Boom says this, Always trust an unknown future to a known God. That's what we learned today. We can trust God more than anything. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we ask for your wisdom uh, uh, that we could look at not only the actions of uh, this man, Barak, but that we could look at the actions of this woman, Deborah, that we could uh, learn from them and that we could take these truths, apply them to our lives because you you ask us to. We know that uh, you have chosen each one of us 
and that you ask us to just display that confidence in your word and in your promises, that confidence that knows you're always in the battle with us, that confidence that knows all will unfold according to your good time. Father, we just pray this morning, raise us up in this time and in this place that we can be such people of faith. We ask it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.